This episode of the Kyle Style Podcast is brought to you by Kyle Style Design. Visit redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design to get some original artwork by me on shirts and cell phone cases, book covers, and mugs, and uh, make your friends jealous with your jiggy original art that you can only find at Kyle Style Design. So this episode centers around the uh, a great story that I've stumbled across online uh, a few years back, and uh, when I remembered it, I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna do my you know radio lavish thing with this one because it's it's fun." So this story is known as the Ultimate Ground Speed Check: Tales from the Blackbird. Now the uh, narrator here is, or the the author of this story is Brian Schull, who is a, a pilot of the SR-71 Blackbird, and in his book called Sled Driver, Flying the World's Fastest Jet. Now, this is a funny story, there's a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of technical stuff, but it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward, so, basically, let's just, uh, dive right in, and, uh, let the story speak for itself, and then we'll, uh, maybe put, put it in a little bit of context at the end, so. The ultimate ground speed check from Sled Driver, flying the world's fastest jet. Here we go. There were a lot of things we couldn't do in an SR-71, but we were the fastest guys on the block and loved reminding our fellow aviators of this fact. People often asked us if, because of this fact, it was fun to fly the jet. Fun would not be the first word I would use to describe flying this plane. Intense, maybe. Even cerebral. But there was one day in our sled experience when we would have to say that it was pure fun to be the fastest guys out there, at least for a moment. It occurred when Walt and I were flying our final training sortie. We needed a hundred hours in the jet to complete our training and attain mission-ready status. Somewhere over Colorado, we had passed the century mark. We had made the turn in Arizona and the jet was performing flawlessly. My gauges were wired in the front seat and we were starting to feel pretty good about ourselves. Not only because we would soon be flying real missions, but because we had gained a great deal of confidence in the plane in the past ten months. Ripping across the barren deserts 80,000 feet below us, I could already see the coast of California from the Arizona border. I was, finally, after many humbling months of simulators and study, ahead of the jet. I was beginning to feel a bit sorry for Walter in the back seat. There he was, with no really good view of the incredible sights before us, tasked with monitoring four different radios. This was good practice for him for when we began flying real missions, when a priority transmission from headquarters could be vital. It had been difficult, too, for me to relinquish control of the radios, as during my entire flying career I had controlled my own transmissions. But it was part of the division of duties in this plane, and I had adjusted to it. I still insisted on talking on the radio while we were on the ground, however. Walt was so good at many things, but he couldn't match my expertise at sounding smooth on the radios, a skill that had been honed sharply with years and fighter squadrons where the slightest radio miscue was grounds for beheading. He understood that and allowed me that luxury. Just to get a sense of what Walt had to contend with, I pulled the radio toggle switches and monitored the frequencies along with him. The predominant radio chatter was from Los Angeles Center, far below us, controlling daily traffic in their sector. While they had us on their scope, albeit briefly, 
We were in uncontrolled airspace and normally would not talk to them unless we needed to descend into their airspace. We listened as the shaky voice of a lone Cessna pilot asked Center for a readout of his ground speed. Center replied, November Charlie 175. I'm showing you at 90 knots on the ground. Now the thing to understand about Center controllers was that whether they were talking to a rookie pilot in a Cessna or to Air Force One, they always spoke in the exact same calm, deep, professional tone that made one feel important. I referred to it as the Houston Center voice. I've always felt that, after years of seeing documentaries on this country's space program and listening to the calm and distinct voice of the Houston controllers, that all other controllers since then wanted to sound like that, and that they basically did. And it didn't matter what sector of the country we would be flying in. It always seemed like the same guy was talking. Over the years, that tone of voice had become somewhat of a comforting sound to pilots everywhere. Conversely, over the years, pilots always wanted to ensure that when transmitting, they sounded like Chuck Yeager, or at least like John Wayne. Better to die than sound bad on the radios. Just moments after the Cessna's inquiry, a twin beach piped up on frequency, in a rather superior tone, asking for his ground speed. I have you at 125 knots of ground speed. Boy, I thought, the beachcraft really must think he is dazzling his Cessna brethren. Then out of the blue... A Navy F-18 pilot out of NAS Lemur came up on frequency. You knew right away it was a Navy jock because he sounded very cool on the radios. Center, Dusty 5-2, ground speed check. Before Center could reply, I'm thinking to myself, Hey, Dusty 5-2 has a ground speed indicator in that million dollar cockpit, so why is he asking Center for a readout? Then I got it. Old Dusty here is making sure that every bug smasher from Mount Whitney to the Mojave knows what true speed is. He's the fastest dude in the valley today, and he just wants everyone to know how much fun he is having in his new hornet. And the reply always with that same calm voice, with more distinct alliteration than emotion. Dusty 5-2, center. We have you at 620 on the ground. And I thought to myself, is this a ripe situation or what? As my hand instinctively reached for the mic button, I had to remind myself that Walt was in control of the radios. Still, I thought, it must be done. In mere seconds, we'll be out of the sector, and opportunity will be lost. That hornet must die, and die now. I thought about all of our sim training, and how important it was that we developed well as a crew, and knew that to jump in on the radios now would destroy the integrity of all that we had worked towards becoming. I was torn. Somewhere, 13 miles above Arizona, there was a pilot screaming inside his space helmet. Then I heard it. The click of the mic button from the back seat. That was the very moment that I knew Walter and I had become a crew. Very professionally, and with no emotion, Walter spoke. Los Angeles Center, Aspen 2-0. Can you give us a ground speed check? There was no hesitation, and the reply came as if was an everyday request. Aspen 2-0, I show you at 1,842 knots across the ground. I think it was the 42 knots that I liked the best. So accurate and proud was Center to deliver that information without hesitation, and you just knew he was smiling. But the precise point at which I knew that Walt and I were going to be really good friends for a long time was when he keyed the mic once again to say, in his most fighter pilot-like voice, Ah, Center, much thanks. We're showing closer to 1,900 on the money. 
For a moment, Walter was a god, and we finally heard a little crack in the armor of the Houston Center voice when L.A. came back with, Roger that, Aspen. Your equipment is probably more accurate than ours. You boys, have a good one. It all had lasted for just moments, but in that short, memorable sprint across the Southwest, the Navy had been flamed, all mortal airplanes on frequency were forced to bow before the King of Speed. And more importantly, Walter and I had crossed the threshold of being a crew. A fine day's work. We never heard another transmission on that frequency all the way to the coast. For just one day, it truly was fun being the fastest guys out there. So yeah, that's the uh, ultimate ground speed check. And it's a, it's a funny story. Um, kind of listening to the pilots one-up each other on the radio. And, you know, that Hornet, the Dusty Five, too. He had no idea that there was going to be some super crazy, you know, spy plane flying in that sector at the time that is nearly flying in outer space, just crushing his top speed and, uh, you know, kind of got kind of flamed right there. So I wanted to uh, put this in context, of course, because I'm not a pilot. And, you know, if you're not a pilot, you're like, well, what the hell are knots? I get that it's really fast, right? And, you know, the SR-71 is like super fast. But, uh, I broke this down a little bit, and this is, uh, so according to Wikipedia, a knot is, uh, K-N-O-T, is a knot, is uh, about 1.151 miles per hour, right? So the Cessna was doing 90 knots, so that's about 103 miles per hour. That's pretty fast, right? Uh, the Twin Beach, he called it, uh, was doing 125 knots. So that's about 143 miles per hour. Now, a jet airliner typically travels around 500 knots when it's cruising. So that's about 575.5 miles per hour, right? Now, the uh, so Dusty 5-2 in his uh, Hornet was doing 620 knots. Uh, at, on the on the ground speed, so that's 713 miles per hour. Now, you know, a jet airliner is typically, I'd say, about the fastest most human beings will ever really go. Like most people are not going to be in anything more advanced than that or faster than that, right? Even if you, I mean, maybe if like a Learjet could go faster or something like that. But, uh, you know, an, an F-18, I think it's an F-18 Hornet, is, uh, you know, that's a, I think it's a supersonic aircraft. You know, you're, you're going to be, that's like the sports car, the muscle car of the sky, right? You're not really going to get a uh, aircraft that's too much faster than that, right? You're going faster than the speed of sound, which is 768 miles per hour, right? So I think he could crank it up. And uh, and go faster than the speed of sound, even right. But so the uh, you know uh, Aspen two zero our uh, our heroes in the uh, SR seventy one the uh, flight control there has told them that they were at uh, one thousand eight hundred and forty two knots. So that's twenty one hundred and twenty miles per hour. Two thousand one hundred and twenty miles per hour. That's pretty damn fast, and and several times faster than the Hornet was going right. And uh, the SR-71 is, I think they called it like a Mach 3 aircraft. So that means it could go three times the speed of sound. So it could even have gone faster, is my understanding, okay? And their, uh, you know, their reading that uh, Walter pulled out to uh, put the 
put the bookend on the situation was uh, he said that they were going closer to 1900. Uh, that's 2,186 miles per hour, or you know, three times faster than uh, the Hornet Dusty 5-2 was going, right? And you know, like the like these speeds, I think they don't they don't mean anything to most people, right? Because most people are never going to fly in an SR-71. They're never going to fly even in like a Hornet. So when you're talking about those those kind of speeds, I mean, you're saying how he, he describes how he's at the Arizona-California border and you can already see the coast. That's how high they are. You know, he says 13 miles up in the air. That's higher than most human beings are ever going to get until we get like commercial space flights or something. And, uh, just the speed there is just you know a matter of a matter of minutes to cross entire states right i mean i think, I think the that scale of that speed is just mind boggling right but uh you know two guys piloting this uh you know it's a it's a damn near it's damn near a spaceship and you're you're going at ridiculous speeds and yet they're so in control of their own craft that they're able to uh, kind of joke on the radio and it's just such a fun story but yeah so uh, you know the that Cessna was putting along the Twin Beach was like yeah I'm going faster than you and then that Hornet was like hey I'm the fastest guy around right now I'm going you know 700 miles an hour and then unfortunately for him you know here's Aspen 2-0 uh, you know, uh, control, uh, I'd like to verify that we're going uh, about 2,100 miles per hour, and <laughs> they're like, yeah, your, your gauge is probably better than ours, you boys have a good day, and that's, you know, a banter that they usually don't do, right, so, fun story, uh, like to share that one around, and, uh, thanks for listening, so, uh, tune in to the next episode, and I'll try to have some more uh, quality research content for you, not just uh, crazy Kyle-style rants. All right. So thanks again for listening, and uh, be sure to head over to uh, redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle-style design and get you some jiggy original art, and uh, I get a little portion of the purchase there, so you can support the podcast that way, or you can uh, just drop over to the GoFundMe page and Put in as little amount as you want. Put in a quarter, I think, or eh, maybe a dollar's the minimum. I'm not sure. But uh, head over there. Throw me a dollar if you don't uh, like my art because you're some kind of uncultured simpleton, you savage beast. And, uh, you know, contribute to the podcast and uh, keep this keep this gravy train rolling, and I'll keep providing quality content to be piped into your ear holes and it will fill your brain with all kinds of mimetic concepts and mental pictures and imagery that will uh, trigger in you an avalanche of of original thought and get you to it will drag you kicking and screaming out of your cognitive box that you've built for yourself and then you will see the world with fresh eyes and feel an immense level of empowerment and go about your day with more vigor and uh you know more more energy maybe or you just waste some time listening to me rant again ah i'm sorry all right i'll see you on the next episode bye bye